Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 80. It's titled, Money is Trust. This week in the U.S. is Thanksgiving and Black Friday, and I can assure you that I will not be anywhere near a store on Black Friday. The last time I did that was probably 10 years ago when Nintendo Wii came out and my son got me to take him at four in the morning to wait in line for the doors of the mall to open. There was a mad dash and it was really, it was was unpleasant because we got the Wii, but a lot of people behind us did not and they were very, very upset. So I will be home. And I mention that because we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub. And I would like to thank those of you that have supported the Hub and have found it a useful resource for asset allocation, education, portfolio guidance. But many of you don't really have an interest or a need for the Hub, and I respect that and I understand that. But some of you have listened to all 80-plus episodes, and I often get emails from individuals that that found the show and, and plowed through all 80-plus episodes within a, a few weeks, and then, then just miss not having a new episode to listen to every day. For those of you that, that want more money for the rest of us, I'm making a special, quote, Black Friday offer in that I have a year's worth of premium Money for the Rest of Us Plus episodes. This is a Saturday podcast that I do do weekly, typically 15 to 20 minutes where I comment on, put a little additional insight perhaps on that week's regular episode of Money for the Rest of Us, but I also answer questions from Hub members and I address many, many different topics. I'm making this available the first time for non-Hub members. There are 55 episodes in this audio pack. It's episodes 29 through 83. So they correspond, they're companion episodes to the regular podcast, Money for the Rest of Us, so episodes 29 through 83. There are over 14 hours of content. And the topics range. There's detailed discussions on asset allocation, and diversification. There's more insights on asset classes, including investing in stocks, bonds, master limited partnerships, international REITs, convertible bonds, commodities, gold, Bitcoin, peer-to-peer lending, and closed-end funds. There's also greater depth on market history, including seasonality, secular and cyclical bull and bear markets, 200-day moving averages, stock market sell-offs, and market internals, and many, many other topics. Central banks, quantitative easing, robo-advisors, investing in your home, ETFs, sell discipline, and currencies. If this is something that you'd like, the way it's going to be set up is you just, you pay once $29 for lifetime access. You'll get a podcast feed, an RSS feed that you can listen to these episodes and download them right into your, whatever your regular podcast app is. And so you'll have the money for the rest of us, plus this particular audio pack, all 55 episodes and over 14 hours of content. So you can get that access to that 
go to moneyfortherestofus.net forward slash plus. That's P-L-U-S. So moneyfortherestofus.net forward slash plus. You can also go right to the moneyfortherestofus.net homepage. There, you, there's, you click the link. You can read more about what I'm offering. You can look at all the show titles and the topics. Decide if that's what you want. $29. This is one week only special Black Friday offer. That way you don't have to go to the store. Or if you do, you can buy and you can listen to Money for the Rest of Us Plus while you're shopping. Turning then to this week's topic. In the book Coin by Kabir Segal, he relates the story of a taxi ride he took in Jakarta, Indonesia. Segal sat in the back of the cab and, and the cab stopped at a red light. A barefoot beggar holding a baby approached the cab. The light turned green and Kabir urged the driver forward, but the taxi stayed put. The cars behind the cab started honking, but the taxi still didn't move as the beggar woman approached the cab. Kabir looked away as he expected the inevitable knock on the window, asking for a handout. Then the front passenger door opened, and to Kabir's surprise, the woman and the baby got into the taxi. She fiddled with the air conditioner as the driver took off and got on the expressway. Kabir was confused, and his first thought is, just like we all tend to think the worst, this must be some type of kidnapping. What in the world is going on? Then the taxi driver entered the car pool lane, and Kabir finally realized what had happened. The woman with her baby allowed the taxi driver and Kabir to use the fast lane and get to the destination quicker. The woman didn't need to go anywhere. She didn't need to go or want to go where the cab was going. What she needed was food. And by agreeing to join the taxi ride, she would receive a portion of the, a cut of the taxi fare and be able to buy some food. Now, prior to the invention of money, this type of transaction could not have occurred. Many, many hundreds and hundreds and decades and centuries ago, I guess it would be, individuals traded directly with each other. They exchanged goods and services that they had for something that they wanted from someone who wanted what they had. This was called bartering, and bartering works only if both parties want what the other is offering. In the case of this woman, she didn't want a cab ride. So bartering would not have worked. She needed money in order to do that. Now, I knew a man back in the early 80s that started one of the first national bartering networks. I was still a teenager, and I remember just how impressed it was that he had acquired this motorhome as part of a bartering transaction. But the challenge with bartering is you can end up trading for something that people eventually don't want. And that's exactly what happened to this man. For decades, he had a warehouse full of vinyl records that he couldn't trade or sell. And it's only been in the last few years as vinyl albums have come back into vogue that he's been able to liquidate some of his record holdings. So for decades, 30 years, he's had this warehouse full of vinyl albums. Money facilitates exchanges that would not have occurred in a bartering economy because money acts as a symbol or a token of value. Money 
requires cooperation and trust for it to function properly and to facilitate transactions. Trust is required because money has no intrinsic value. It has only symbolic value. Money cannot be used in its physical form, such as coins or bills, to make something productive. You can't eat it. You can't build shelter out of it. You could use paper money for heat by burning it in your fireplace, but it would be far more effective to exchange the money for firewood. Money has value because we and others believe it is worth something in that it can be exchanged for something of value. Initially, money was physical. So the the first coins were gold and silver coins. And so there was somewhat of an intrinsic value to money in the sense that people valued gold. Eventually, coins made out of sort of non-precious metals came along, as well as paper bills. But today, most money doesn't exist as paper bills or coins. Most of it resides as a bit on a, compu- on a computer network. Bits, just bits. Money is data. The balance in your bank account is simply a digital record. In the U.S., there's $3 trillion of money comprised of physical bills and coins, checking accounts, and other demand deposits of banks, including balances banks hold at the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Central Bank. This, is, this technical name for this definition of money is called M1. So that $3 trillion, just over 40% is U.S. coins and bills. The rest is electronic records. So what they mean is over the century, money has become more and more abstract. And that's taken a level of trust and cooperation among households, businesses, and government. You believe when you receive a credit to your bank account that that money is not going to go anywhere, that, that, that is, there's true value there, even though it's just numbers on the page. You believe somebody will honor that. When households and businesses lose faith in the institutions holding their money, they demand to hold the money as physical coins and bills, or they want to even convert it. They might not even trust the coins and bills. They want to convert that to something that they believe is a better store of value, such as gold. That's exactly what occurred during the Great Depression. Households and businesses hoarded their physical money and were afraid to part with it. The result was the value of money went up, of the hard currency went up relative to other goods and services. And so if people were hoarding money and not wanting to spend What that means, the value of the money went up, the value of the goods and services went down, that is called deflation. The lack of trust causes friction. It causes for a society to function, you need cooperation and trust. You need, it can't all be bartering. There has to be this abstract notion of money, this symbolic token that is used, some of it in coins and bills, most of it in digital form. Other forms of money have both a physical element to it as well as an abstract or digital element to it. Take gold, for example. When I go out and enter into a futures contract for gold, I promise to buy gold at a certain time in the future at a certain price. Now, 
Typically, these futures contracts, you reverse it and it gets settled. But I could potentially take delivery of that gold. Well, on the commodity exchange, COMEX, there is 200 times greater the amount of financial claims on gold through these through these futures contracts, then there is actual physical gold registered on the exchange that could potentially be delivered. And and there's this fear that, well, what if everyone takes once delivery of the gold? There's not enough gold out there. There's 200 times more contracts than there is physical gold, and that'll cause the price of physical gold to skyrocket if people took delivery and why would they do that? Well, because perhaps they, I don't know, because they lose trust and cooperation. That's no different than back during the Great Depression when people no longer wanted the, the digital element of gold or of dollars as reflected in their bank account. They wanted the physical dollars. So if investors lose trust in paper gold, then the value of physical gold will skyrocket relative to other goods and services. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david, netsuite.com david. Now, most assets, when you go out and invest, it's actually a contractual obligation. We, we rarely own anything. When you think about owning an asset, other than perhaps your home or a piece of real estate, or if you own some physical precious metal, most of the time what we own, our asset is somebody else's liability. Bonds represent... So when you buy in a fixed income interest instrument, that represents a corporation or a government's promise to pay interest and principal. Even when you go out and buy a stock, you a stock is ownership in a company, but you generally buy stock through a broker. In the old days, you'd have a stock certificate and it'd be registered in your name, and so that would represent physical ownership in the company. But now, because so much trading is done electronically, when you buy a stock or a mutual fund or an ETF, that is held in the name of the broker. That's called the street name. So the stock 
represents your asset. I mean, it's something you own. There's a digital record, but it's also there's a liability on the part of the broker to pay you the dividends and credit your account for the capital appreciation. And all assets are like that. They're just interlinked promises to pay, contractual obligations, and they require trust. They require cooperation. They require the rule of law. And I read a quote the other day. You know, as I record this, Belgium, Brussels, Belgium is in lockdown due to the threat of terrorism. Schools are closed, many businesses are closed, the trains aren't running. And I was in Brussels, my family and I stayed there a couple years ago. And it and it's it's shocking. This is just a normal town. We rented a row house on Airbnb. And and the woman we rented it to, she had a couple kids and she was renting out her house that she in turn was renting in order to save money to buy a house. She trusted us that we would take care of her things. Now the level of trust in Belgium is very, very low. There's a great deal of fear. And I read a quote in The Economist this week. It was in the leader section. Here it is. Remember that the West has two things to defend, the lives of its citizens and the liberal values of tolerance and the rule of law that underpins society. Where there is our, in, when these, where these are in conflict, it should choose policies that minimize the damage to values in order to make large gains in protection. What, what they're saying is, so we have, we have to, countries have to protect the lives of citizens, which is what Belgium is trying to do right now. But we also value, we have these liberal values of tolerance and the rule of law. And then the quote goes on to say, sadly, in the scramble for security, the principle seems to be to get rid of some of these liberal values of tolerance and the rule of law. Think about just traveling and the headache of going through security. In some ways, I read a report the other day that you know, security airport, that's, that's just theatrics. We go through all these things and give up some of our personal liberty, particularly if you get patted down, with the idea that it's going to make us more secure. But studies have shown it doesn't really work. And I recall my trip to Sweden this year where my son and I were 10 feet away from the president of India and the king of Sweden without any security. There they've erred on the side of liberty, liberty and tolerance. When we err on the side, if we're so worried about protection and safety, sometimes the cost of that is our personal liberty and our, our, it can be the rule of law. In other words, some of our privileges are cut back. And there's a cost to that. I read another report where he talked about terrorism. And if the Islamic State wins, many, it, talked about, it was talking about the Paris attacks. And the Paris attacks were absolutely horrid events. And in the hundred, more than, I think, 120 people died. But the point of this editorial, I think it was in the Financial Times, was the impact on the economy would be very, very small. I mean, it was sad 
it was tragic, and certainly the families of those victims are are suffering. But in terms of they were isolated, they were local elements around the town. But the vast majority of the town continues on, and you see this when you go to to big cities. That I last month I was in New York, and I just love to walk around any big city and just wonder and amaze myself at the complexity and how many people there are all interacting and the level of trust and the cooperation that, that needs to be there. But if we err on the side of security and you lock down an entire town, and, and I'm not saying this isn't justified right now, but if it was ongoing, then the cost to society and the economy would be huge and then the Islamic State would win. And so we need to continue to have trust and cooperation. And there's risk to that. There's risk, there's personal risk that a terrorist could attack. But generally speaking, they have been isolated events and and there's always this balance between our personal liberty and our freedom and security. Should we prepare for a time when trust completely breaks down and so money which was very abstract and much of it in digital form and for whatever reason households and businesses lose trust and so then they start hoarding again they hoard money they hoard gold as we saw during both the great depression and to some extent during the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, there was a flight to quality, and there was definite fear that the entire financial system was going to collapse. How do you prepare for that? Well, you need to maintain what I call pockets of independence. Most of my family's assets are in digital form. They're part of these contractual obligations. My assets are generally somebody else's liability, either in terms of a bond or in terms of some type of financial company that has sponsored an ETF, in terms of my broker, which is holding the assets in my name, and and I can only access them on the internet or the computer or through an ATM, I am have a great deal of trust in these electronic networks. At the same time, I also have some pockets of independence. I own, we own our farm outright. We have some food storage. We have some water stored. We have some physical gold. We have some things that if there's a complete breakdown in society, we could get by. And I think everybody should have that. Not with the idea that it's going to happen, and because I don't think it will, but just in case we have those pockets of independence. I admit I don't follow exactly what is going on in Syria and in many areas around the world. I There's a quote by Henry David Thoreau in his book, Life Without Principles. It is, I do not know, but it is too much to read one newspaper a week. I have tried it recently, and for so long it seems to me that I have not dwelt in my native region. The sun, the clouds, the snow, the trees say not so much to me. You cannot serve two masters. It requires more than a day's devotion to know and to possess the wealth of a day. I don't spend hours and hours 
monitoring the news and the financial news. And I don't, we don't have a television. I don't even get television stations because we can't pick them up here. We have a TV. We can't get any stations. So we have no cable. And in most of my news comes through an app. So I might look at the BBC app, the Guardian app. I'll look at the Financial Times. I'll, I'll read The Economist. But I don't obsess over the news because most of it doesn't have any impact on my investing and on my day-to-day life. I can be mindful of what's going on. I can be have some empathy with what's going on. I can help out what I can, but mostly I can't do anything. What I can do is try to build trust by reaching out to people in my in my neighborhood, in my community, to answering your emails when you email me and emailing you back. Having some linkages there to build some trust. That's what I can do. I can travel overseas and, and be willing to take personal risk in traveling because I want to build those relationships of trust. That's what I think we should do. Have pockets of independence be independent in, in the sense that you have some assets, some hard assets, some savings that are separate from the financial system. But the most of your time, just go out and, and live a life where you trust others and you cooperate with others. And that will ensure that freedom and sustainability will win. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That same URL, moneyfortherestofus.net, is where you can purchase one week only Black Friday special for $29. You can get over 14 hours of Money for the Rest of Us Plus content that is typically reserved for Hub members. You can get it, download, get the, get the RSS feed, download it to your podcast app, whichever one that you like to use, and you have that for lifetime access. So you can get that at moneyfortherestofus.net on the homepage, or you can also go to moneyfortherestofus.net forward slash plus, P-L-U-S. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.